All right, if you would, let's take our Bibles tonight and go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter number 7. And we'll be looking tonight at verses 7 through 12. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. And uh, we'll be dealing with the subject tonight of ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. Beginning there in verse number 7, and we'll read down through verse number 12. The Bible says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Of course, our Lord here returns to a familiar theme he returns back to prayer. Now, of course, in chapter number six, we dealt at length with the teachings on the Lord's Prayer and, of course, how we should pray, what the, how the, what the subject and the objects of our prayer should be. So what we do know about God is that we are commanded to pray and that prayer is the appointed means for us obtaining what we need. Now, we understand God's sovereignty. And we understand that God knows what we have need of before we even ask. God knows uh, what our desires are and what our wants are. But prayer is the appointed means in which we have been told to pray. Um, often people in circles like ours say, if you believe in God's sovereignty and you believe in the providence of God uh, and you really don't change God's mind, then why pray? Well, the first obvious answer to that is, is because we're commanded to pray. It's the same concept as why are we to evangelize and why are we to give the gospel if God is sovereign in salvation? Because we're commanded to, and it's a privilege to be able to tell others about the gospel. So prayer is the appointed means in which God has given to us to obtain what we need. We often see throughout scripture that we're told to pray often. We are to be people of prayer. And prayer should not just be something that's done in a flippant manner, but it should be something that we're serious about and that we earnestly, uh, diligently pray. So we know that prayer is a biblical command. Now notice the terminology that our Lord uses here in this first verse. He uses those three words, ask, seek, and knock. When we see the word ask, it is really in the, the tense or the, uh, the idea here is as a beggar, ask for what he, need, he or she needs. It is to ask as someone who does not have anything to offer. So when we ask the Lord, we're not asking him as a secondary means of supply. We are asking as a beggar who knows that they are fully dependent upon God's provision. Uh, it's also similar to the way, could be explained as the same way a, a person who's traveling 
who doesn't know how to get there and they stop and ask for directions. I know that's highly unlikely in our technological age anymore, especially for men still to ask for directions because that's just, we just don't do that. We will figure it out. But asking is this means in which we're asking because we really are dependent. We see the word seek. Uh, we see throughout scripture phrases like seek ye first the kingdom of God. Uh, then all those things shall be added unto, unto you. Seek for something of great value. We see that played out in scripture. So the idea here of seek in our Lord's words here are to search after or to desire a thing of value. Especially something that we have lost. And of course we know that there is always the seeking of the pearls in scripture we see a reference to that we see our lord going out and seeking the one sheep uh, so we see that principle and then we see the word knock uh, someone why do they knock they desire to get into that location they knock because they want that person who occupies that residence or to occupy that place they want them to open the door now we do realize tonight that uh, it was our sin uh, that closed the door uh, to having the ear of God. It was our sin that kept God uh, from being open to us. It was our sin, but because of our redemption, that door is now open, but we are still told to knock. And when we pray, that's what we're doing. We're asking as a person who is desperate and dependent upon the one who's providing, we seek after something that is of great value, and then we knock because we are desiring not just entrance, but we are desiring the, per the person who occupies that door uh, will come to our assistance. So whatever you and I pray for, we ought to pray according to the promises of God. We should pray with knowledge. We should pray with an understanding that God's word says, ask and it shall be given unto you and it shall be opened unto you so we pray with confidence we pray with the idea that god has made these promises and because we have these promises in prayer we can certainly rely on god's provision now according to god's promises and according to the god's plan um, all things that he has ordained for us will in fact come to pass so whatever god has already determined to give us uh, it's already a done deal now we don't know when that appointed time is for that particular provision but realize that what we're asking god and what we're desiring that god would do is that god would teach us to desire his will above all else so that when i ask when i seek when i knock what i'm truly after is god's will now, he's going to give a marvelous illustration of how the difference is between how we pray, how others pray, and how sometimes we pray amiss. We pray in a wrong way. And that how God, even though we sometimes pray wrongly, uh, God in his mercy and his grace corrects those prayers for us. Again, look at verse 7. Ask, and what's the promise? And it shall be given you. Now, this should clearly be understood as asking of God in prayer for things that we want. 
Now, those wants might be things of a temporal nature. They might be things of an earthly nature. Uh, we all uh, should be praying for God's provision of food and for clothing, even though we spent, remember, we spent a, an entire uh, message talking about don't be overly concerned about what you'll eat, what you'll wear, but we're still to ask God for those provisions. And so whether it's a temporal thing um, or whether it is a spiritual thing, now, our prayers, we, are, we were warned in chapter number six to be careful not to ask in an immoderate or an anxious way. In other words, take no thought. Remember, we're to trust in God's provision. We're to trust in God's sovereignty. We're to trust in the reality that he knows what we need. Now, I think all of us know probably how to pray for temporal things. But how do we pray spiritually? What kind of things do we ask for that, that, that Jesus is saying, and it will be given to you? Well, I believe that the Lord has in mind here, and based upon other scripture, is that spiritual prayer deals with asking God for grace, asking God for wisdom, asking God to help us to behave in a proper manner that is fitting of being a child of God. Help us, teach us how to act not only towards God himself, but how to act towards our fellow man. So we ask according to the will of God. And we ask in the name of Christ. So as we enter into the throne room of God and we're asking God, we're asking by the name of Christ. And so we're asking under the guidance of and the direction and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Prayer should be guided by the Spirit. Now we've all been in those moments of immediate need. And we've all been in moments of times when something just comes up and we immediately just, we know what we need, we know what we want, and we immediately ask for it. And sometimes maybe we ask Amiss, Because we're not really sure what we need. We just know we need something. But do you know how the spirit will influence you and guide you is that he will guide you to ask in faith, but also with a sense of reverence. But I think the part that misses, we miss a lot, folks, is understanding the reality that whatever we ask for, we ought to ask in a submissive way that is submitted to the divine will of God. He says here, Jesus says, ask and it shall be given you. Now that tells us anything that's according to God's divine will that we ask for will be given to us. The problem is that sometimes what we ask for was not God's will. Sometimes we think we're, we're praying in faith and we think we're praying in submission, but we're really not. And so we become a little bit discouraged when we don't get our prayers answered. And we go back to verses like this. And it said, well, if I ask, it says it shall be given you. But remember, everything that's according to God's divine will will be given to you. So if God doesn't grant you that request. And maybe it's not now, maybe it will be later, but we have to be submissive to the reality that if God does not provide this, then this was not according to his divine will. 
Again, remember, the purpose of prayer is not changing God's mind. The purpose of prayer is learning how to make God's will your will so that we're praying with a mind of God. So we see ask, ask, ask whatever you want, but understand something that it should be asked according to the nature of God. Pray not as you deserve it, but pray even understanding that whatever God gives to you is according to his gracious gift. Whatever he's given you folks is his gracious gift. There's things we've been given that we didn't pray for. We've had moments in our life when something happened and we thought, I didn't see, I didn't even see that need. And somehow, we don't know, somehow God knew the need. He provided for it. I didn't even ask. But yet, this is what the Lord again, and I've often wondered why why the scripture and why God in the, with the inspiration of the authors, why this section isn't attached at the end of the Lord's prayer in chapter number six. And I'm going to show you in just a moment why I think, why I think he put, why God put this there in this particular passage and instead of after the Lord's prayer. So the second thought, seek and ye shall find. Now this is still meant of prayer. It's still meant about seeking God. And when we seek God, what are we truly seeking after? We're seeking the face of God. We're seeking God's favor. And what is the promise? Our Lord says, seek and you will find. When you seek God in a right way, which what is the right way to seek God? By and through Jesus Christ. When I seek God properly, I will find him. I will find what I'm seeking for. What does it mean to seek the right way? It means to not only seek him diligently, but to seek him with our whole heart. It becomes the, the passion of our prayer is seeking after God. Now we're all, I believe, we're all prone to situations where we become very self-centered in our prayer, that it becomes about what I need and about what needs to be done for me. But oftentimes, I think we fail to understand that what God is really trying to get at and what the Lord's trying to teach us here is to teach us to seek God. Prayer should be a seeking of God, even before the provision of whatever the need is. And then knock, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Again, how are we to ask as beggars do? How are we to knock like somebody who is dependent upon the person's door you're knocking on answering the door? It's what the Bible refers to as knocking with importunity. It is, it is knocking with I need assistance. I need to be provided for. What is that door that we're knocking at? What is that? What's behind that door? That door is, of course, the door where Christ stands, and it's a door of mercy. And faith in prayer is, in fact, the key that opens that door. When we, as poor sinners, have found the grace of God, and He has chosen us unto himself and he's called us and drawn us to him 
It's not just, oh, we had him for that one time of need. We have a continual door that we can go to and knock upon. Knock daily, knock hourly, knock minute by minute. It's, it is the, the Lord's purpose here is to show us how we should be praying with fervor and with constancy. It should be something that's continually being done. It's having a mind of prayer. Now, the Lord proceeds to give a couple of very strange examples, but they're very instructive in the way he does this. Look at verse 8. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now, this is very similar to verse 7, except he elaborates a little bit. Who is the everyone here? Everyone that asks receives. The Bible teaches us that God is not a respecter of persons. And what Jesus means by here by this is whoever it is that makes this petition, whoever it is that asks, seeks, and knocks. And in the context of Scripture, that might be a Jew, that might be a Gentile, there is that might be somebody rich, it may be somebody poor, it might be a free person, it might be a servant, it might be a slave, it might be a person who is a, a greatly gifted individual, it may be a person who has nothing. But what Jesus is saying is if that person asks correctly, if they ask, seek, and knock correctly, they will receive what they ask for. Oftentimes we understand that asking properly is to ask with the right principles, it's to ask with the right heart, it's to ask with the right view. You will receive those good things by the hand of God, those things that are suitable and proper for you. And he that seeketh findeth. How are we to seek him? We're to seek God by and through Christ. We seek God by the grace and the mercy of God. We're seeking the kingdom of God. We're seeking his righteousness. We're to seek after true riches, not the riches of this world, but the riches of the glory of God. And what is the promise? When you pray properly, you ask, seek, and knock properly, you are sure to receive and you are sure to find. Have you ever anybody ever asked you, how do I get my prayers answered? As if there's a magic formula. It's not a magic formula. Remember, the problem is not with God. The problem is, is do we approach God with the right perspective? And are we praying truly with God's will and the glory of Christ as the primary means of which we're asking these prayers? So Jesus is still using ask, seek, and knock in verse number eight. He's just now giving, he's elaborating more upon them. And it says, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. What will be opened? That door of mercy, that door of provision. He will not be denied. Folks, there's a wonderful promise here that if I come to the throne of God properly with the right view and with the right desire and with the right attitude, there's a promise that that door will be opened. I don't have to worry about coming to God properly and wondering, will that door remain shut? Because he's made the promise. Why do we have access to the throne of God 
because we have access to the mediator, Jesus Christ himself, who was there at the right hand. And that's the reason that we have access at all is through Christ. Ask, seek and knock. And then Jesus gives these personal illustrations. And look at verse nine. It begins with the word or or if or what man is there of you? Whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? This is quite a peculiar question. But, or what man is there of you? The reference for man here, we know he's talking about a father because he mentions whose son asked for bread. So he doesn't use the word father, but he uses the word man there. So it's a father. Now this, we can see an example of this over in the book of Luke, chapter 11, uh, verse number 11. Luke 11, 11. And this in the, in the book of Luke is under a section that's often referred to not as the Lord's Prayer, but a model prayer. And this, this exact illustration is given. Uh, we see the similarity here. Verse number 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish... Will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Jesus is leading something here, not just in Luke, but also in the book of Matthew with this relation. He's talking about the affections of a father. This father's affections and the nature of this father is to provide and give to his son what his son asked for. What did the son ask for? The son asked for bread. And the, the idea here is, is what kind of a person would it take? How brutish would a person be that when their son asked for bread... Instead of giving the son bread, he gave him a stone. Only the, the worst of a man would do that to his own son. Because think about the implications of why the son would be asking for bread. Why would a son ask for bread? Because he's hungry. What kind of a monster of a father would it be to say, my son is hungry, he's asking for bread, and instead of giving him what he actually needs, I'm going to give him a stone. That's the picture of cruelty, folks. And he's even saying that even though, and again, he's leading to something here, unless this man is an absolute brute who's literally lacking basic humanity, a father's not going to do that. He means there's by no means is this father going to give his son a stone unless this man is absolutely merciless and cruel. Yet notice again, he gives him another illustration. Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? Now, it's not by coincidence that Jesus uses illustrations of bread and fish. Right? We, we see that the great miracles were the provision of fish and bread. These, oh, this would have been the common meals and the common provisions of the day. That was the common food. 
We see illustrations of the bread and fish uh, in Mark 641, where there's a reference made to uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, we see a reference being made in John 21:13. So particularly where Jesus was ministering at this time, this was a place where fish and bread was extremely common. But his disciples also, many of them were fishermen. So these fishermen would have related, that was one of the most common occupations was a fisherman. Now he's really getting personal here because he begins to ask the question, if your son as a fisherman asked you for a fish, would you be so cruel and merciless that you'd give him a serpent instead? Again, what kind of a father, what kind of a man would do that? Now take all this into account and think about what Jesus has been teaching about ask, seek, and knock. The concept here saying, if I approach God properly, if I come to God through Jesus Christ, I come with the proper principles, the proper view. Do you think that your heavenly father is going to give you and be that merciless and that cruel to you? But he's going to say something even interest, even more interesting after he asks these two questions. He says in verse 11, if ye then being evil. <laughs> well, that's an encouraging word, isn't it? If you being evil, now notice the emphasis here, know how to give good gifts unto your children. Even as a depraved sinner who isn't perfect, you as a father know how to give good gifts unto your children. As a father, when your child needs bread, you know how to give them bread. When your child needs fish, you know how to give them fish. Yet, you're evil. <laughs> you're a sinner. And yet, as a sinner, even you know how to provide and give to your children. It's an interesting levels of things. And of course, in the, in the other passage in Luke, uh, we just read it talks about, it's that he asks for an egg and you give him a scorpion. It's, it's to show really the absurdity of the idea and the inhumanity that that would demonstrate. Now, again, what is the object of prayer? God's will and the glory of God. So it would be absurd, folks, for you and I to think for a single moment that if we truly came to God asking, seeking, and knocking with the proper motive, the proper attitude, coming in through Christ, which is the promise of how I can get to God, it would be absurd for you and I to think, if you ask for bread, that God's going to give you a stone. It's absurd and inhumane for you to think that if you ask for a fish, he's going to give you a servant. It's absurd and inhumane that you would, if you ask for an egg, that he's going to give you a scorpion. Now look what he says. If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to him that ask him? Do you see the line of contrast he's drawing here? If you in your evil wicked, wickedness know how to give your son bread, fish, and eggs, how much more do you think your heavenly father who isn't evil is going to give you? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I mean, that, that's the only word. I know it's an outdated word, but that's awesome. I mean, because I know that even in my provision for my own family, 
And in my own prayer, I don't always ask rightly. And sometimes I pray with the wrong motives. And yet, here's the application here. That we don't see any sort of this type of kindness among men that we see through Jesus Christ himself. If you find these type of people in society, these are the true definition of a monster, of a person who says, I need bread and you give him a stone. There are people that make a lot of accusations against God about God did this and God allowed that and that makes God evil and wicked. God does all things right. That means even in how he answers prayer, he always does right. You say, well, God keeps things for me. God didn't give me what I asked for. And I would submit to you that there are things that you and I ask for that we should thank him and praise him immensely that he didn't give us what we asked for at the time because it would have been to our destruction and to our to disaster. We think we know better than God and we don't. In temporal things, we do make mistakes. Uh, there have been things that we thought at the moment when we prayed about it, we thought we were praying for bread. We thought if we got that answer, we were getting bread, but what we were really getting was a stone. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> we, we're, we, we come before the Lord diligently in prayer and say, I know what I'm asking for is bread. And yet what we're really asking for is not what's for our benefit. It's actually for our harm. We mistake and think that that's an egg when it's actually a serpent. We think what we're getting was a fish when actually really it wasn't what we thought. You realize God is so merciful that he corrects our prayer and gives us not what we sometimes ignorantly seek, but what we really need. How many times have you prayed so confidently about you knew what you needed? I mean, how many times have you gone to God with your little list and said, God, I've been writing this stuff down all week long. And I'm going to tell you this list of things. Uh, we sat at the, we sat at the dinner table last night and uh, my wife or my husband and I, we sat and we wrote down this list and we're coming to you with this. And, and we know, Lord, that if you give us this list, we know this is exactly what we need. You realize sometimes everything you have on that list is not fish and bread. It's stones and serpents. Because we think we know what we need. How many times has God actually corrected what you asked for and gave you actually something better? I think every believer, on the sound of my voice, has had a moment in their life when they prayed for something and God gave them something different. And they said, I'm telling you what, I never saw that. And yet what God did and what God provided is actually what I truly needed. Thank you that he did not give me what I asked for. You see, this promise that God, the Lord gave here, he explained it by what we ask for. He's setting things in the true light. In his graciousness, he corrects the foolishness of even our prayers that we ask amiss. Our prayers, sometimes as they're being lifted up to the very throne of God, they have to be changed. It would be a horrible thing. God would be, listen, God would be a monster if he gave us everything we asked for. 
And you say, Ooh, that's really, that really kind of hits me and steps on my toes. Folks, that's, that's what he meant by us being evil. Sin, even though we're redeemed people, sin still clouds our judgment and it still sometimes prevents us from truly being able to see what is real and what is false. How quickly do people jump to conclusions? How often do people have one piece of information and they make an entire case about it? How many times have you been facing something in your life and you just immediately know, I got to go to God because I know what I need? Again, think about the realities of a situation in your own life. If God had given you what you asked for, is that really what you needed? See, our Heavenly Father himself... That's what Jesus says. Your father, is everybody seeing this? Your father, which is in heaven, gives good things to them that ask him. Don't you know how much more, how much better he is than even the father who's still evil, who knows how to give bread to his children? Do you know how much better your heavenly father is? Honestly, I'm, I am blessed and thankful that God is much better than I am. I'm glad I'm not the standard. I'm glad that God's perfections, if you know how to give good gifts, if you then being evil, now he knows we're all, he's talking about mankind in general, in our nature, in what we practice. The Bible teaches us we're conceived in sin, we're shaped in iniquity, we're evil from our youth, we're transgressors from the womb, we're corrupt, we do sinful things. And yet, this is not putting us in a situation where it's one or the other. He's simply saying that if, if, a, if a father who, is, who knows all these things and is all these things can still find in his heart and has the power in his hands to give suitable provisions for his children, again, how much more shall your father which is in heaven there's two things specifically, and there's many things, but two things specifically God is that that father isn't. He's omnipotent and he's omniscient. Just those two those attributes of God. He knows all and he's all powerful. Now, who do you truly want answering your prayer? One who knows all and is all powerful or one who really only has limited power and knows really in the scope of eternity, knows very little. I know we think we're very smart theologically. We think we're very smart spiritually. We actually begin to get a little confident about where our theology is. But do you still realize how far short of God we still are? God not only knows everything, and he's all-powerful, but he knows the people, and he knows what his children want. He knows what's proper for them. And not only does he know what's proper, he's able to give them everything that they need. There are things that even today, it is not within my power to give to my children or to give to my family or to give to this church. It's not within my power. I, I do not have the ability 
to do it. No matter what resources I could try to pull together, I am limited on what I can do and what I can give. But yet there are no limits with God. The only thing God cannot do is go contrary to his character. Right? He can't, he can't do anything that's contrary to his own nature. But these good things, what does he mean? Well, not only temporal things as food and clothing, but what about all those spiritual things that we need? Do you know how much grace you needed today? Do you realize how much grace God gave you today, even before you woke up? Do you know how much mercy he extended to you? He gives all these things, everything that pertains to not only life, but our godliness. He gives us, he designs and gives us these gifts and these graces. It's everything that we need for our spiritual and eternal good. Folks, the one thing I will never fully grasp about God, and maybe maybe people have got a better handle on this, is how some of the things he gives us now and some of the things that he's teaching us now are for our eternal good in glory. And we can't always connect the dots with this. Like there's things going on in our life now that is for our spiritual good here and for now, yes, but for even greater glory when we're with him. So what does it teach us about prayer? We should be inquiring and seeking after all these things. He's encouraging his people to ask for these things. He's encouraging his people to seek and to knock. Although we ourselves are evil and sinful, do you know sometimes as a parent, if you haven't had to do this, you will. Do you know sometimes you've had to correct your own child's request because what they were asking for wasn't right? So think about how much more he corrects us. Why do parents correct the requests of their children? Because of experience or because something in life has taught them. The child doesn't know yet. The child is still learning. But God gives the good which we even didn't even ask for and withholds some of the things we ask for very unwisely. It could maybe rephrase this way. Shall, should, shall not the perfectly good father who knows all things arrange his gifts most graciously? Isn't he going to do all things for our good? How much more? Bible says we don't even know how to pray as we ought to, but he knows how to give us his perfection, how to give us good things. One of the great things we have that was given to us by Jesus Christ when he left, he told his disciples, I go away, but I will send unto you a comforter. One of our greatest gifts we have is the indwelling spirit. The Lord's trying to teach his people to think more of God than of our own needs. Our prayer should be more about God than it is more of our own needs, but yet we're still told to ask, seek, and knock.
And then finally, verse 12, we'll go quickly through this. It says, therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men shall do unto you, do ye even unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. Does that sound familiar? That's the golden rule. <laughs> you know, the golden rule is one of those interesting things that even unbelieving parents teach their children about the golden rule. It's amazing how many Christian things are in society that people, even people who claim to be atheists, actually use with their own children. Where did the golden rule come, came from? It come from? It came from God. So if I tell my child, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, what are they instructing their children about? About a rule of God. And as an atheist, they say, I don't believe in God, but yet they're teaching their children one of God's rules. These words, therefore, of course, form what's the conclusion of this particular discourse or this portion of Lord's sermon here. It doesn't just take into account. And this is why I mentioned a few minutes ago. This is why I believe this asking, seeking and knocking is here and not over with where the Lord's prayer teaching was. This is kind of the ending part that brings all these things together. It takes in all the account of asking and receiving with regard to judging and being judged with regard to our worry and our anxiety, with regard to our treasures in heaven, with regard to fasting, with regard to giving. And even into chapter five, with all the lessons we've learned about the Beatitudes on oaths and temptations and forgiveness and loving one's enemies and divorce and being the salt of the earth. He says all of these things form this model prayer and idea of what ought to be. What is he saying? It's the golden rule being delivered that should be observed by all mankind, whether it's Jews or Gentiles. Our Lord clearly expresses here that all things whatsoever you would others do to you, he says, do the same to them. And by doing that, he says, you're in obedience to the law and the prophets. This is a rule that's not only agreeable to what the law of Moses says, but it's also agreeable to what the prophets were saying. And it's even appropriate to the laws of basic humanity and law and and the, the laws of nature. It's interesting, two people who were never fully claimed to be believers, very wise men by the world standards, standards. Aristotle himself, when he was asked about the golden rule, he said that very thing. He said, that's the way we ought to carry ourselves to our friends. And we, I wish they would carry that behavior towards us. There was a, a heathen emperor that so admired Severus. Some of you have heard that name. He so greatly admired the golden rule of Christ. This is fascinating that he ordered some of his servants to write the golden rule on the walls of his closet. Yet he was a heathen emperor who by anybody's understanding never came to any saving faith in Christ. But he was so taken by the idea of this golden rule. Everything that has gone before what Jesus is teaching here leads up to this and argues for it. He says this, therefore, it's instructive to look back and think about this. In this place, our Lord gives his golden rule. 
put yourself in another person's place and then act to him as you would wish him to act towards you under the same circumstances, same circumstances. That's the right rule of not only God, but it's the right rule of humanity. It's the sum of the law. Our Lord's instructions here are given and made to apply to everybody that prays properly. Everyone that asks receives, whether they're Jew or Gentile, young or old, rich or poor, high or low, master or a slave, learned or unlearned. All people who approach the throne of grace properly are welcome at the throne of grace through and by Jesus Christ. It explains, Jesus explained this parable, or not this parable, but this this. this concept here by the comparison of comparing earthly parents and how ready they are to give to their children what they ask you know even parents sometimes we ask foolishly for our kids some of the things we've asked for God for our children praise God that he corrected them and did not give us what we prayed for God is all wise He knows what we need. He knows what we desire. And he knows what's best or good for us. Our way of application as we close, we should never suppose. We should never think that our Heavenly Father would command us to pray and then refuse to hear or give us what would hurt us. Think about that. He's not going to give you something that's meant to hurt you. So I hope that we'll learn the lesson from this. Ask, seek, and knock. And may God's will become our will. Let's conclude our time tonight by singing the hymn.